podcast sinks to the bottom of the ocean someday <laughs> i knew was that good yeah. what, what do you think what is other options line? were there is there is there a line yeah, in one of these movies i recognize it i recognize that hey everybody happy pride month to those who celebrate it's been a beautiful june we're all situated cozily in our little setups here on the zoom call as you can probably hear happy to be back it's been a minute maybe like five months it doesn't matter but we're back with a medium first. Something like that. Back with a medium morgue first. We're going back to the very early days of queer mm. cinema here. Two controversial movies from queer filmmakers that were deemed obscene upon release, but nevertheless stand as important historical artifacts for the still developing gay cinema. <clears throat> okay, Zach. I'm sorry, wait, wait, wait. Zach, <laughs> I put my mic, I put my mic all the way over. Here. It's okay. It's... That cough was homophobic, Zach. Wait, 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 wait. Where's my audio Because I know that Zach really did not like no, no, one no, of these no, movies. No. I put my mic all the way over here. Like, I put it right in front of me. And then I watched. As I cleared my throat, I watched it spike on the side. Let's let Dan I'm so finish sorry. I'm so sorry. For anyone with an interest in the evolution of world cinema, these early queer films inhabit one of the most interesting corners of film history a lot of the time these were outlaw productions made with illegal means purely outsider art that frequently dabbled in the avant-garde and freeform expressionism these are non-commercial and independent frequently underground movies and they push the boundaries of what's accepted in cinema at this time from fox's full frontal nudity to divine eating dog shit and pink flamingos to the earnest depictions of the trans community and funeral parade which one would never expect from 1969 feature these movies challenge the status quo and they're not playing it safe. In addition, you can totally see the artistic identities of different parts of the world by looking at their independent films at the time. The queer movies of Germany, Japan, and America, for example, in the late 60s, early 70s, completely different wavelengths. Matsumoto, Fassbender, John Waters, for example, are all shooting wildly different movies that attempt to distill their outsider perspectives, whether that be via earnesty, sophisticated dramaturgy, or even parody and satire. So before we delve into these movies and these movements, I just have to say, this is a show called The Medium Org, and it's where movies come to be examined, dissected, chopped and screwed, resurrected, but sometimes, sometimes they stay buried. I'm Rainer Werner Fassbender, and I'm joined here today by my fellow surgeons of cinema. Wow, I'm amazed at that introduction that's that good. that's that who i good. am i'm amazed great job dan what two other surgeons here oh uh, i this, this, these are not the movies where you make AKAs. i just gotta be yeah uh I, I i'm i'm zach palomo uh, <laughs> robs me of my identity i'm wes goodrich <laughs> yeah yeah well before we get into these movies we got some news, as I understand Indeed. it. We've got a couple of months of backlog news to catch up on. Yeah. Right? Quite a bunch so of stuff. So how do you guys how do you guys feel about video games? Do we have any do we have any gamers here by any I'm chance? A fan of games. I'm dabbled. I press a button now and then. Yeah. Maybe move a joystick left or right. Well, crack open your monster energy drinks, strap in your Xbox headsets and clean up your filthy, disgusting rooms because <laughs> we're talking gamers and we're talking games and we're talking summer games fest. Starfield? Yeah. Question mark? 
I did. Uh, you guys, uh, you guys scrub through that I little uh, Starfield. I watched a little bit of it. Yeah, I scrubbed through minutes. it. Scrubbing through is a generous description. I, just <laughs> I watched of, yeah. sections. I, like uh, <laughs> I looked at one, but I did. I checked out the uh, <laughs> the the stuff they had to say about character creation, the combat section. Mm-hmm. And a little bit, I guess, of the like the world exploration. But explain this to our, our listeners, because even I. Yeah. Well, was... I think they're trying to top the the and, and whenever one of these RPGs comes out now, that always ends up being like a brunt of conversation because you spend like five hours on the character creator, and then then there is like the whole rest of the mm-hmm. game, you know. And a lot of the time, these are like first person games, and like in the case of Starfield, you're in an astronaut suit the whole time, mm-hmm. so it's like you're not even looking at your character and one of the big like uh criticisms with cyberpunk was like the character creator was so in-depth that like you could choose your dick size you could you could choose like how big your dick was and like how deep or like light your like voice was and like really customize a character and then the entire game was locked behind a first person perspective bizarre which was just kind of like bizarre the whole thing was first person and you never really see your character past the first like five hours that you spend designing them but i don't think starfield's gonna be that way um it looks like they actually scanned like hundreds of real people's faces Uh to use as like baseline faces and then from there you kind of choose eyes and eyebrows and you know everything skin tone blemishes scars tattoos things like that basic character creation shit and then the game itself is like the biggest like game to my understanding ever made like so big that it's it's not like procedurally generated to infinity like no man's sky it's kind of locked at i think like 2000 planets but that's still 2000 fucking planets a thousand is what to run around uh, on is what bethesda said officially they said we have more than 1000 planets to explore yeah more than 1000 okay yeah and, uh, you know, different lighting and uh, atmospheric effects and stuff. I'm sure they're going to try and differentiate the planets that, like, have story mode things happening on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it could fall into the same pitfalls as No Man's Sky, a game that a lot of people gave up on after a while, but apparently has, like, gotten better. I wouldn't know because it got stranded in space and I never <laughs> went back to it. Um, but you know, what do you guys think? I mean, for those of you who, you know, watched what you did, I'm curious, and this is a question for the group, like, do y'all think that, do y'all think that a game can be too big? Like, yeah. yeah. And, and not just like, not, not just like, oh, it can't, the, the technology can't handle what we're asking of it, but like too big to even enjoy. Mm-hmm. I wonder sometimes, I mean, I think the trend is we're moving to, as you know, VR gets more popular and stuff. Like we're moving toward a sort of ready player one thing where there's just, it's just another world that you can go into to forget about your own. But I wonder like, I mean, more than a thousand planets to discover. I I, I think Mm -hmm. with the trend towards. I'm not even done discovering this one. You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen. I mean, (laughs) I've never, I've been to Staten Island one time, (laughs) uh, let alone the rest of the world. And I just think like when we're obviously we've seen a trend toward open world gaming over the past 10 heavy in the past decade you know obviously it's been around for longer but there is something to be said for a sense of like finality to a game you know like being able to actually yeah, get yeah, through yeah. the thing and finish it and when i think about well, stuff apparently like, this one has like a set like ending oh, okay. like you are now like at the ending yeah. and people are speculating that the whole thing is about finding uh higher life forms or whatever I, I think it's as i understand it from rumors at least the plot 
because Bethesda hasn't been very transparent of what the plot is. I'm purely talking about leaks that I saw. It's supposed to kind of be like Prometheus. Mm-hmm. You're trying to find like your creators, you know? Um, and I think the final set piece is like a black hole. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You're by like a black hole and that's like the ending ending of the game. So at least this is like a cataclysmic thing that can't be found on any other planet and gives you like a sense of like, okay, now there's a story that is finishing. Yeah. Now the story's done. And after this, I can, you know, kind of go off on my own again, but like the story as we understand it is over for me. It's like, you know, I look at, um, I didn't play this, but Elden ring even like, Is, yeah. is one of those games Dude, I had so to give sprawling. up. It's the exact same thing that you're talking yeah. about, Justin. I had to give up. It was too much. Just yeah. too big? It was too big. Like, too big of a game? Like, too expensive? Wow. Yeah. Elden Ring fans punching the air right now listening to the media more. But no, <laughs> uh, I, tr- I spent forever trying to get a horse, and then I couldn't get a horse, and I spent, like, three hours trying to do that and, like, running around, and I kept dying and, like, running back to the place where I died to get my shit that I dropped when I died. <laughs> and it was just, like, this endless loop of doing that. And I was like, guys, I don't even have a fucking horse yet. And I'm, like, gritting my teeth and, like, punching the couch cushions and stuff. Like, I just don't feel like playing this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, so I gave up. Yeah, you know, I was real. too big. It's the world's too, too big, Ma. Then make it smaller. We got, hey. Nice, no. Shout out to Ani there. They also had RoboCop uh, gameplay. Did you guys see that? No. Is there a RoboCop, RoboCop game? I yeah, heard dude. about it, but I didn't see the no, gameplay. I did not. Looks fucking crazy. Uh, Stalker 2, they showed off gameplay from. Um, Xbox seems to be the only one that's really doing like big showcases anymore. I don't even think E3 is really like around in the extent that it used to be. That used to be like an event. Yeah. And now I think these things are kind of split up sporadically over the course of the year now. But in terms of like uh, syndicated like game showcases and stuff, I think Microsoft is the last of the big three to really put like a bunch of chips down when it comes to that. And is Starfield going to be they kind of get all these... exclusive to Xbox? Yes. Okay, got it. Looks like it. Got it. So I will make a decision in September <laughs> as to whether, whether or not I'm going to finally get an Xbox. Because <laughs> uh, I've been a PlayStation shill for my entire life, but uh, you know, I think everybody comes to the realization that Ooh. they're all faceless conglomerates. Yeah, you know, we don't really need to pick sides. At the end of the day, yeah, you're yeah. still pressing buttons. Zach, uh, whoever's got the game, you uh, you you wanted to talk about a uh, little little web slinging, didn't you? Little yes, little sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, Insomniac Spider-Man Two oh, man. Uh, dropped a, a gameplay trailer. Mm, yes, and that was cool. Got our first look at the. Um, the Venom symbiote, which yeah. I personally think looks really good. Like I, I heard that, I don't know, some people were like, oh, it should look more like a suit. And I'm like, what do you want? Like they're taking a shot yeah. at something. It should look yeah. more like a suit? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, like a goddamn baseball hat just fell off the thing. It scared me. Um, <laughs> like, like the Web of Shadows symbiote suit where it's just like a black yeah, morph suit? They wanted to look more like, oh, no, it should just be like a black suit. And I guess when it goes to eddie or whoever becomes venom then it becomes more organic but i'm like i think it's awesome that it looks yeah. like fleshy and like you know sinewy moist yeah. on his, like eyes yeah yeah sinewy, that's um, to put it, yeah yeah goopy and it's like gooey. armor you know yeah like, I like uh, an ooey gooey symbiote <laughs> it's also like it's not it's not fun to do gameplay with a symbiote that it doesn't have those weird appendages like what what yeah. else is the game going to give you mm. 
that's different yeah. from regular Spider-Man if he doesn't have those. Well, I mean, you can murder people, but like <laughs> discern, you can murder people in the first one. You know, I was tossing people <laughs> off a building. Yeah, I was I was kicking people into the water and stuff. But but oh, dude, Insomniac didn't patch this, but like on day one or no, I mean, eventually they did patch it. But on day one, I swear to God, you could kick motherfuckers off of buildings and the web did not come out to stick them to the building yeah. before they hit the ground. So you they would just turn walk. the camera over the side of the building and like watch and the guy would go bah! and like hit the ground and bounce off. Well, it was fucking the, sick. The, no, but yeah, you want the symbiote to kind of like interact during like idle animations and things right. like that. You want it to be like, like moving yeah, around. Yeah. It is interesting that you bring up Web of Shadows because I know that in, in, just in our chat, we talked about like how we'd want to see maybe swinging uh, evolve in the second game. And, you know, um, obviously the benchmark for, you know, Manual modern swinging. day swinging is the Raimi Spider-Man 2 game where you had the mm-hmm. easy swing option and the advanced. The game is still fun. Yeah, and you're definitely killing dudes in that because you can keep hitting them after they're yeah, unconscious. Are. But um, <laughs> Yeah, you keep swinging them over the ground. <laughs> like, you just keep wailing on them. Um, but I, I do think in looking at old footage of web of shadows that had some pretty dope swing mechanics. And I remember playing it mm-hmm. myself, yeah. but you could really level it up and you could do, you, it was like Tony Hawk, but with, with like web slinging. Yeah. It was. And cool. I think, you know, it would be cool to see them do something like that, especially yeah. with two different Spider-Men who have two different yeah. styles. I think it says a lot about a man. What, what game has his favorite web swinging? <laughs> I think the, the Spider-Man two for the GameCube and PS two, just cause those physics are such nonsense is probably the still, still the most fun to watch. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? You would punch a guy and you'd fly like three buildings that way. <laughs> yeah. You know, you'd be like, fuck you Spider-Man. Like, well, they're flying away. <laughs> the web swinging, like it looks super smooth and feels really good in the original insomniac game mm-hmm. and miles, especially cause they just have him doing like more dynamic stuff. But I, that is like the one criticism yeah. is that I guess the web slinging does get kind of old eventually because it's not mm-hmm. like you have a ton of control over it. Like you don't feel accomplished for really making that look good because it's kind of easy to make that web swinging mm-hmm. look good. So I think, yeah. I mean, like there was that Fortnite um, web Which swinging was that, great. that people thought was better. Yeah, exactly. Because it's great. like you actually, yeah, it it's so manual, like you have control over yeah, you had it. To, yeah, you had to aim it. Mm. You had to, and then you were on like a set amount of webs and you could run out and That's stuff. pretty cool. They brought that back for this like Attack on Titan thing that they did where it was just the web swinging, but like you would strap in a harness and shoot the ropes and stuff. But it was the exact yeah. same mechanics. People responded so positively to it. Yeah. And also the thing is like, you know, with Peter Parker specifically in this universe, having been Spider-Man for like eight years, I think, you know, he should have some sophistication to his web swinging. Yeah. That's like, you know, like there's like even the, uh, the little loading screen poses, he does all this stuff in those that you never get to really yeah. do in the games, yeah. like the double behind the back thing. Or yeah. the, you know, the they use one of those screenshots yeah. in a uh, Morbius when he walks past a billboard of like Spider-Man <laughs> on the billboard. It was a screenshot from one of the loading screens in the game. <laughs> Wait, I want to find it. It's true because it was, it, it was, was the, the Raimi, Raimi suit, yeah. skin. And so yeah, people were it. like, is yeah. this in the Raimi verse? But I think everyone was just confused and didn't know how to do their jobs. So. Yeah. You know, I, Remember when we remember when we reviewed Morbius? Shut guys? up, yeah. shut up, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> Not even like a mod. Or Wes a is, it's just the suit over. Yeah. It's just model. that. Yeah, Wes is going to have us. He's going to do the same thing when Craven comes out. He's going to have us uh, review Craven and then uh, mysteriously. Yeah. Well, speaking speaking yeah. of Craven, speaking of Craven, uh, you know, I should have had some bits yeah. prepared for this. I didn't watch um, 
It looks bad. It sure does. It looks bad. I don't know why they keep doing these. <laughs> I haven't even watched I, the trailer, it's, and it's, I know it looks I, bad. Hey. Uh, lion, lion blood in Craven's body, <laughs> and now he's a lion man, <laughs> and it's Aaron Teller Johnson and Christopher Abbott. There are two Academy Award winners in this movie, guys. <laughs> Ariana DeBose is in it. You know? Who's Christopher oh. Abbott playing? Some some fucking you know how the Sony movies all have a suit yeah. villain a villain that's yeah. a suit yeah. it's it's he's that he's is that he the guy. one who's like he's you want to know why they call me the Rhino at the end of the of the trailer no no he's the one who said oh in a literal suit oh in a, like a, in a suit and tie he's like you know he's in a literal okay. suit yeah 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 that's great that I think this trailer was leaked also because I couldn't find it like on youtube or anything it's only uh, at that twitter link i couldn't find an official like sony posting of the yeah. trailer so i'll be real with you it just looked like it was too scary i couldn't didn't really want to yeah, it couldn't finish it. <laughs> I, I i got i gotta be real i mean i think it's almost like the cw ended yeah and they have decided remember. that now that that's their film strategy all of the staff went over the Sony. Yeah, yeah. They were like, because <laughs> you remember in like Smallville, they would they wouldn't want Batman to be in the show, but they'd be like, "There's a guy in yeah. Gotham dressed yeah. as a bat," yeah. but you'd never yeah. see him. You they would just talk about it, talk there, around there, him. And there's a the shot same. in this Craven trailer where he's in the middle of the forest, and there are spiders coming down from the sky. Around yes. Him. Yes. Is he going to eat the spiders like in a Craven's Last Hunt? That panel of him going. Uh, the oh God! They probably spiders. will do that. Russell like Crowe's in this in movie. Will do that, and it'll make no sense. He's the he's the Craven. He's the real the. They're doing oh, okay. two Cravens. Well, in the thumbnail here, it looks like he actually is wearing a Craven the Hunter <clears throat> getup, and in the set photo mm-hmm. I saw, he was just wearing like a leather vest. Yeah, there, there's there's a brief shot of him with the lion with the lion robe thing on. Yeah. Wouldn't I guess it be that, that's crazy. gonna be like the last scene in the movie? That's gonna be like the final shot. He's <laughs> wouldn't it be crazy if if they and they're not gonna do this because this would be yeah, he intelligent. bit some motherfucker's Damn. nose off. <laughs> what, what if what if we went to the movie and we found out that all these trailers were just trailer footage that they've cut and it's just Craven's last hunt? That'd be great. Oh, Imagine. you mean like it, like a, it was like a false flag trailer yeah. operation? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> he well, showed who, up the theater and Tom Holland was the, there. Is you know? the name he just crossed off? Did that say Avril Lavigne? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, sorry, he's like crossing off a stars. name. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the last okay it's not avril let me okay you know what disregard let's move on let's move on yeah, let's uh so, so so we have no good news today aside from yeah. the video game stuff the only other thing is um briefly that uh we've gotten yet another tease i guess of the uh, last airbender live action oh, yes. series on God, netflix that looks bad. It, you know this is a situation where they've clearly like maybe overcorrected. I don't know, to try to look so much like the cartoon. I mean, the you look at the kid playing Aang and it's just like, it looks a little cosplay-ish because of, I guess, how bright oh, it absolutely. is. And yeah, how, the environment you know, looks and, and fake as fuck. It, you can also tell tough. that that kid is not bald. That kid's not bald. He's got hair follicles that are like what do you very want them visible to do, on Dan? his head. Yeah, well, well Aang... You want, to shave Aang the, you want to shave the child bald? No, they, he is. Well, because they did that. The actor is yeah bald. for the shitty one, you know. The, no, Maybe the, the kids just want to be bald well, for, for for both of them for the Shyamalan one and this one. The kids are bald in both of them. That's true. I mean, maybe they oh, could have put more the, foundation on his scalp, but yeah, you know, I mean, Aang, you can just tell he's not naturally. A, I mean, it does not. Ang yeah, in the show does grow hair in like season two. Yeah. He grows his hair back. An afro. It's an afro. 
Yeah, relax. Look it up, Zach. It's an afro. Look it up. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just it's just some hair. Uh, I it continues to give me pause that um, the original creators were on board with this and then left. I mean, that may not necessarily be a death sentence, but the you know they left because of creative differences. One, there wonders, is no but, way to make people happy with this. You, you, no, you were never going to make anyone happy with a live action Avatar: The Last Airbender adaptation. Like, that's not going to happen because people are a, too nostalgic for where they were when they saw the original yeah, show, and you know, so going dumb. to school the next day and talking to your friends about it and stuff. No, like live action adaptation that you watch as an adult is going to capture that. You know, it's a full. It's term. also like uh, uh, it's same with the like One Piece thing, thing. but uh, but it's also like you're. It, it, it's this idea that animation isn't sufficient. That you need to push it into live action right. for it to well, be it's legitimate, not. It's not which cinema. which is like, it's I mean it's I don't know it's weird it's the same thing of when you know across the Spider Verse comes out and everybody likes it and then they were like but when's the live action Miles movie it's like dude who gives right. a fuck just enjoy yeah. the movie yeah enjoy yeah. the animated movie I don't know yeah like that's the end result of all media is to become a live action uh-huh. film at some point whether it's a mm-hmm. book whether it's you know manga whether it's yeah it's well are they center. putting out another like animated series like of, of avatar like because there's so much i heard they that they were yeah so then, yeah it's a zuko movie is coming out <laughs> that looks so <sighs> stupid <laughs> yeah, okay, but look but look but look but look does this not look like an afro you guys look at your phone does no, it not look like no. an afro to you like a it's short not an afro, afro. <laughs> it's like a short afro i didn't want to have to do it to you i did look it looks to. like baby's first haircut Wes in no way shape or form <laughs> where where is his where is his this where is this for him does he, he doesn't have that, that he because he's—that's that. not how his hair grows. He's a little boy. <laughs> you don't right. get that. I had one of those like, little boy. You don't get that until you're like thirty-five. <laughs> he doesn't have a real hairline. Yeah. <laughs> he's not getting shaped up in the air temple, dude. <laughs> it's giving him a fade. Wait, Wes, Wes, Wes drew this one himself. I know that. I know Wes drew that one himself just to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm done talking about Avatar. That's mine. <laughs> Move on to the films now. Uh, let's take our first break, and when we come back, Dan will lead us through uh, Fox and his friends. I used to I used to be in film school. Do you guys know that? Do you guys know I went to school for for movies? Do you know I went to movie academy? Guys? I heard about that. Movie Academy? Yeah, Movie Academy. Yeah. No, Movie Academy. Film school. We, the course, one of the first courses we ever had, uh, the instructor made us watch two movies so that we could write essays on them and talk about them in class. And one of them was Samurai Rebellion, a great flick. And the other one was this movie Fox and His Friends, which I decided not to watch because I looked into it. And so I was like, I'm not going to watch that. And then we got to class like... <sighs> You know, and we're having like the class discussion and our class discussion of Samurai Rebellion lasts for like 20 minutes. And then we get into Fox and his friends. And that discussion went on for an hour. And like God people damn. actually had things to say mm. about it. And as do uh, I. And uh, <laughs> this filmmaker we're, we're going to be talking about for however long this segment is, is um, one that uh, you can't really discuss film history without at least mentioning and mm-hmm. passing and that is uh rainer werner fassbender who prolifically made these queer dramas 
and his filmography serves as something of a foil to that of John Waters, who was also active underground queer filmmaker at the time, but who was making these like parody movies and, um, you know, queer comedies, like very campy movies with drag queens and his muse being divine and stuff. Uh, Fassbender, on the other hand, was like really trying to insert like serious, sophisticated dramaturgy into like gay relationships and make these like queer dramas and stuff. And his movies are boring is is the main like slight that I would have against them. They're really <laughs> stiff and they're really fucking boring, but they're interesting and they're important. There is like a lot of stuff to discuss and it and it kind of reveals like where underground cinema was at the point. This this was like an underground controversial movie. And I think I assign more merit to it than than maybe you guys do, just because I realized that this was like kind of a landmark thing to come out at the time that it did. It's Fassbender's first queer drama. He spends his entire career building up to a point where he can make gay movies and like get them financed mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, cause he, he starts like basically making movies with his friends in the sixties and, and getting them to play in like underground venues and things like that. He's inspired by like Godard and the French new wave. He makes this movie love is colder than death and basically makes like five movies, uh, in, in like one year at a certain point he's, he's getting to where he's making so many movies, just like cranking them out to where he can get financing to make anything. And with that financing, that's how he makes these queer movies, including Fox and his friends, the bitter tears of Peter von Kuntz and his last movie, Quarrel, which is maybe still the gayest movie ever made. <laughs> oh. um, everything in that movie looks like a dick. Nice. <laughs> it's about this, like it's about this like gay sailor who like washes up on a Harbor. Who's like kind of getting into murderous misadventures and stuff. But like, that movie is like crazy, weird, like sweaty German sex. And it's like nasty and kind of like hard to watch. And like everything in the set design, like the pillars on the harbor to like the benches and the restaurants and like everything like looks like a dick in that. And I saw that at Film Forum where like it's all these staunch old people who like shush you if you wrinkle your popcorn bag. <laughs> we were all sitting around like watching this sweaty, weird, like fastbender movie that is like essentially at this point just porn because it's the last movie of his career before he dies under mysterious circumstances um oh my God. but fox and his friends i know he had a crazy weird life fox and his friends is his first attempt at doing something like this before he goes way off the rails and realizes he can really do whatever he wants but this right. is where he's he's still interested and in, you know this is kind of like a retelling of the myth of prometheus he's uh really putting in some like kitchen sink drama here and um, showing gay people in like domestic situations, uh, you know, showing abusive relationships, going after like uh, class and how even in like underprivileged communities, like the wealthy are always kind of acting as like vultures. Um, and it, it's a really interesting movie. I know that I've been rambling, but uh, I was kind of torn on whether or not I wanted to do Fassbender on this show because he's kind of a bastard. Um, but like I said, you can't really talk about the emergence of queer cinema at this time without at least mentioning mm. him and his role. I'm going to open it up and throw it to you guys. I watched this last night um, and I was kind of surprised. I feel like some of the I guess I was surprised by the simplicity of the story in that mm. when like what I was saying to Wes and Zach, it kind, it kind of almost feels like pretty woman, but like the bad ending mm. where you have this guy who it's, is taken out of, you know, 
poverty and well, the original Pretty Woman society. ending is more akin to this. Oh, does she get robbed? Oh, Pygmalion. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was Pygmalion. the original oh, ending oh, that oh, they, oh. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, that they pitch and then test audiences didn't like it and they changed oh, okay. it. Okay, well, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I quite, once I understood and settled into what, like, the arc of the movie was going to be, um, I found myself, you know, wrapped up into the, the drama of it. I think it's um, decently acted. I think that the uh-huh. um, uh, it, it definitely uh, I don't know the, the name of the actor who plays um, U- Eugen, Eugen, uh, but he is one of the most unlikable characters in film history. Yes, he is. Uh, just a just a just a despicable guy. Um, not fun to be around. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was probably longer than I expected it mm. would be. Um, and I see what you mean about the stiffness, Dan. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't think that it was like completely devoid of like emotion. I yeah. think that there's, there's stuff there. No, it's full yeah. of emotion. I mean, you know, it's, it's got a lot of emotion. That's just, especially in like Fassbender's earlier movies. Uh, I, I, I've seen like five of his films now. And the earliest one that I saw was this movie, the merchant of four seasons, which is kind of what like puts his career into like the international limelight. Mm-hmm. And that is like one of the worst, most taxing movie watching experiences i've ever like Mm. sat through it's so stiff to where his direction is like okay and then do this with your hand and then do that with your head and then move around Mm -hmm. like that and it's like one like movement at a time it's it's like baby's first like drama (laughs) yeah you know um he kind of like grows up as as he makes more movies but um he's also he also has that scene with him in like the mud bath which (laughs) i don't really know what to make of when they're when they're like the bathing in the mud together. dude their their culture is like gross yeah. that room is horrifying People it's are gross nasty yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's I, I know it fucking <laughs> smells gross in there it's gotta smell crazy in there but they have like that conversation while they're like bathing in the hot mud oh like, just, like, just has his out. has his gold <laughs> chains <laughs> resting I would not be able on to share mud, a room yeah. on just a layer yeah. of mud climbing out <laughs> and walking with just <laughs> mud falling off of you yeah I just walking like away it. i don't yeah. like it imagine being the director and you and you point the camera at yourself doing that like you're like okay we're going in for a shot (laughs) everyone everyone has horror stories man there's there's an actress who you see earlier on um she's at the carnival she she's uh she's a really brief part in this but she's in like basically all of his Mm -hmm. movies erm herman that's her name and she's she claims that she considers herself to be a fassbender survivor because he was so brutal and his work ethic was like so extreme Uh, and he like really brought every single one of his actors and actresses and like crew members like to the absolute edge, like trying to pump out as many movies as he possibly could in very short mm-hmm. intervals of time. Um, and it's I'm given the impression that like a lot of these people are kind of relieved that he died when he did because he seemed to be something of a cancer on their lives. <laughs> like they tell really it's got to be the worst kind of legacy. Them. Uh, it's, it seemed yeah. like at first there yeah. was a lot of love. Yeah. And then towards the end, pretty much everybody hated Fassbender. Um, <laughs> but let me close Wikipedia and get back to Wes the, or Zach, the either of you two. Yeah. Let's, let's, so let Zach, me break it down. How did you feel? First of all, I don't know who else thought this. I'm not proud of it, but I don't know who else thought this, but I was excited to watch this movie because I thought it was a film with Michael Fassbender in it. I thought uh, I thought that was and so as soon as I saw <laughs> as soon as well, as soon as I saw the year, I was like, 
wait. And then <laughs> the movie started, and then I saw the name. <laughs> I saw the name. I saw the name, and I was like, in fact, a different guy. So um, and so that immediately just like, you know. Oh, it, my God. Hold on. Hold on. And so um, here's what I think about this movie. Please excuse me. I'm getting over a cold. Um, listen. It was. It held my attention. Uh, actually, like I thought I think it was it's a good movie. I do too. I thought it was yeah. like the whole time. I wasn't ever like, "God, when is this over?" I was mm. like, "Let's yeah. see what else this dude fucking loses." You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> like to the point where get disrespected in this restaurant. <laughs> yeah, to the point where I told uh, Justin West that I was I was laughing by the end of the movie. Like as the credits were rolling, as they were panning out, like of this this man getting mugged, like his dead body getting yeah. robbed of everything. <laughs> I was laughing. I was like, "This is like he was left with nothing." Yeah. And at a certain point, at a certain point, are you just an idiot? Like at a certain point, are you yes. being manipulated by like some master planner or are you has, just a fucking moron? <laughs> so has has a character ever been this condescended to with with like this much extremity, like scene after scene in like any other movie? Because I struggle to think of one. It's like every scene of this is his boyfriend, like calling him a dumbass <laughs> and like people people saying he's ugly <laughs> and like uh, him him getting like scammed and, and manipulated and stuff. Dude, like, like someone's like comes up to him and is like, hey, my dad's business is failing. Can I have two hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. He okay. doesn't read the contract when I, I was like, OK, like at least he's still going to get this apartment because it was signed in his name. The moment where he yeah. said, we have to sign over the apartment to you. I was like, it's you've lost. It's over. <laughs> you have nothing. You are going to walk away with nothing. Mm. And I think that final scene is oh, actually man. really, really powerful. I really love the final image of like just him being picked over by like kids who like mm. take everything from him. It's kind of like the vultures picking at Prometheus, you know, and like taking his material belongings. Yeah. And really the, the fire that he tries to get is like, you know, the sophistication that comes with being one of the wealthy. Um, even though Eugen or Eugene, I, guess, I don't know, is like not wealthy he just like feigns sophistication he he just seems to his, be an aristocrat yeah. who knows rich yeah. people his parents, his parents are well off, i suppose can of, yeah. prey on like the non-sophisticated nature of yeah. fox and and his wealth becomes yugen's wealth yeah it's interesting um um there's a quote i wrote down early in the movie where max says uh something to the effect of like he's not the kind of guy whom money makes rich and so right. there's this, there's this, uh, if you will, I guess it's like um, this contrast between having money and being rich. Yeah, yeah. Like the mindset, the mentality of it's a mindset, the mamba mentality, if you will, of of having money. And, and so that's why, like he, you know, because he gets five hundred thousand dollars on a whim by winning the lottery, he has no idea what to do with it. Um, and so, yeah, then he just becomes a pawn um, and he's and he's used in just about every way there is. I mean, can't even you know. sell the sports car. Can't even. No. no, can't even. He shouldn't have been fucking smoking in it the night before. <laughs> like, Motherfucker, I'm not going to buy this. It smells like shit. <laughs> like, smoking in your car with cigarettes with the windows closed like you're insane. <laughs> um, Wes, 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I feel pretty much the same way as Zach. I think, I think it's a really well shot movie. I think all the frames look really nice. There's times where he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll put the camera in a place that you're not necessarily expecting, like outside of a, a plate of glass or low yeah. or mm-hmm. in, in some way. And also the production design is great. You know, putting Fox in these blues and reds, I think are really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it really like pops the, the film um, stock that right. they're using. Uh, the story for me, the story, I, you know, I found to be fine. I mean, I, I don't I don't think I don't think necessarily the story is the number one thing that Fassbender is trying to do here. I think he's trying to provoke and he's trying to create a story about two gay men in a relationship that's toxic that we don't we we up up until this point hadn't really been seen in cinema. So I think me critiquing right. the plot, the plot mechanisms is really not the point of the movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think it's, I, I, I'll say I found it more interesting than I enjoyed it. I think it felt more like an mm-hmm. interesting film, um, and a film that clearly is important for its time, for its time. but also like, I think yeah. like I was watching it, I was watching time. it and there was even a shot, I forget which it is, but I was watching it and I was like, Oh, Ari Aster stole this shot in a, in, in Hereditary, you know? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the Safties cool. love this movie. That's believable. Josh Safty, uh, yeah, that's believable. Yeah, Josh Safty loves this movie. That's believable. Yeah, I mean, I could see that, especially since it's exploring kind of which the next movie will do as well. But this sort of like the seediness of you it's know certain corners yeah. of of, mm-hmm. of, a, of a subculture. Yeah, where were they walking in the end? Was that a where was that when they were going down that in the subway when uh, Fox was wa- was breaking up with uh, Eugene. Uh, and they're walking down this complex that I thought was a garage, but then there was oh, like a yes. little restaurant, and then I was, I, what was that? It's Someone like an outdoor like mall type of thing. Yeah, I'm guessing it's just like an industrial location that would have yeah. been pretty close in proximity to the factory. Yeah, they were working. Good. Yeah, the questions cool. I need answering. It did. Look cool. <laughs> yeah, and and queer directors up until this point, it, I. I, I'm hazarding saying this, but I believe that Fassbender was the first to be able to really show like queer domestic drama because John Waters is making like, uh, you know, campy movies mm. and Matsumoto is, is kind of blurring the light. I mean, Funeral Parade of Roses, you can't really categorize either way. I mean, that movie is constantly reinventing itself and, and kind of challenging your preconceived notions of filmic form, but Fox and his friends, and you know, he goes on to make more of these movies, bitter tears and Quirrell and stuff. These are domestic dramas that are like very serious. You mm-hmm. know, he's expecting you to take this very seriously. There's not really any jokes in this movie. It, it, it no. doesn't really give you much like room to really like laugh at the yeah. situation. Or well, like I mean, that. there's like, there's like social satire. Sure, like, I sure. think there's, there's yeah. like, it's not like haha, but I think, but also, yeah, I think not Dan flamingos, you know. No, it, it is not. I, I mean, I think Dan to 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 counter and also add on to your point. I think the only director I was trying to think of someone who had done queer domestic cinema up to this point, and I think you're right in the sense of there were queer directors like Nicholas Ray and like mm-hmm. um, Kenneth Anger, uh, who, who never made Anger. a feature. He was doing shorts. But but like like these guys um, would do uh, would do movies that we now understand are queer film, but would sure, yeah. make it about a man and a woman or right, like right. code it into the movie. Mm-hmm. Like sure. rope theoretically is about to a, a couple. I love that movie. Uh, but it's, so is bride of Frankenstein. 
right? The it is. Yeah. There's a bunch of like queer subtext. Um, but, but I guess when I was thinking about like like queer cinema, I'm thinking about stuff like this. Where That's it's like, explicit. We're, we're yeah. dealing directly with gay couples. We're dealing yeah. directly with you know uh, trans women trying mm-hmm. to survive in the '60s and stuff. And you know you know movies that were you know banned at the time that they came out for for you know reasons that we now look back on and understand exactly why you know a movie like this wouldn't have been successful with the masses um and it kind of makes a renegade out of fassbender like as you know kind of as much as i have like a a push and pull with like you know calling him that Mm. he was the first to really get this opportunity to to do these kinds of movies and open the door for more queer voices um, and that's why Fox and his friends it maybe is not the most entertaining movie ever made, but it, but is certainly one of the most important. It's another. I don't know what other films we've done on the show so far. Wow, we're three seasons in, y'all. Um, I don't know what other movies we've done that have a director directing, like a director starring in the film. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that's a good question. And. And I wonder just your perspectives, particularly Wes and Dan, who, oh, while you are primarily directors, you have both dabbled in acting. I'm right. just curious, like, how you guys feel about, first of all, his his acting to directing ratio in this and also where you guys would fall in the challenge of that. How do you feel about that practice in terms of directing? It's hard this? to ever, like, fully please anybody because, he, like directors who portray their characters as like people who can do no wrong obviously that's like a no-no and it makes you look like a narcissist but then there's like another form of doing this narcissistically which is like what Woody Allen does where like he always portrays his characters and his movies as like schlubs and like pathetic little guys who like you can't help but love you Mm -hmm. know what I mean yeah but I'm not sure how I feel about the Fassbender presence in this because just flames himself yeah, I mean, I mean, he 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 lets himself, you know, get laid and stuff, and he lets himself get dick, but he also portrays himself as like a moron. Ugly. Portrays himself as like yeah. schlubby, ugly. Yeah, people call him ugly. The one guy calls him ugly and then goes, "See you around, you bastard," <laughs> and walks out of the bar. Um, so yeah. I think this is probably as balanced as one of those portrayals can really be without doing like the classic director self insert like narcissistic uh, mm. thing. He kind of balances it out. Yeah. Gives himself highs and lows. I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on the the role. I think, I mean, I think when directors, I think there's two kinds of director-actor combos. It's like the people who were actors first and are making the jump and are placing themselves into the movie either to sell the movie or because they want to play a part like the Bradley Coopers, you know, the Michael B. Jordans, et cetera, et cetera. But I think then there's also like, people that are primarily like indie film directors who also play the Xavier Dolin, you know, who like puts himself into his own movie. You know what I mean? And like, I think he's kind of like a modern fastbender in some don't, ways. Don't, right? don't, don't, don't uh, do fastbender like that, please. Just, you know, <laughs> oh, are, are you, I mean, well, I thought that they were both like pretty respected, but I, I just mean not that, in like, this house, Dan, movies. not in this house. Okay. Well, they, well, they both start, start making movies when they're like little no, kids right. basically, and then like grow up into more accomplished filmmakers. Um, but I think, I mean, I don't know. I think in this movie it works. Um, I think there's times where it feels not in this movie, but in other examples where, you know, I think Star is Born feels very 
self-congratulatory like i'm gonna get director award and the acting award and this doesn't feel like that Mm -hmm. this feels like he wrote a role thought he could play it and put himself in the movie Mm -hmm. um which you know i think is fine yeah i'm just it's something that i i can't necessarily at this stage of my life see myself directing um but that would kill a lot of people who do it to great effect Jason Bateman famously directed a few episodes of Ozark and but, but again that's someone who's like been working in TV since he was yeah, five yeah. and so like at his, it's, the ropes. yeah it's almost second nature mm-hmm. um, there's probably well not probably there is like a racial aspect to everything once they get to Morocco oh you know, dude and, I and hate that part that was crazy that it's so there. weird it's like he just starts following them and like they I guess their gaydar is like mutually going off he knows <laughs> that they're gay they know he's gay and then like without even properly communicating they just kind of like go to a restaurant and sit down and then learn that he can speak French and English and like right he, 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 he always seems like he's like either gonna like I guess like top them or like them. fucking blow their brains out or say, or like, I don't know. And they say <laughs> at one point and they say at one point, like if he bashes our heads in, like it's our fault or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's Fox it's such that. a fucking bizarre little vignette, man. It is. And then it never really even goes anywhere. They're supposed to meet him again after um, the staff at the restaurant says that not the restaurant, the hotel says that they don't allow oh. Arabs. And then he's like, well, meet me at the buzz at, at the bazaar at nine o'clock. And then they they don't, and or it they like do. doesn't even go anywhere, or they do, and we they just didn't, and we didn't see it. I oh, mean, they, they never touch okay. on it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's just that Fassbender wanted that actor in his movie because he's worked with that uh, Arabian <clears throat> actor. He's he's the lead guy in uh, Ali Fear Eats the Soul. Oh, okay. um, well, I mean, I think I think I mean my read on it. And maybe this is the wrong read. Is that he's that guy is in some way paralleling. Uh, Fox like this is a guy who's in the bottom rung of society but Fox is has just been able to move up and even though Fox is now now has money Fox has always been white Mm. so he can always get into the hotel you know what I mean and this guy Mm -hmm. is always going to be at the bottom rung like he can't he can't be like you know it's they do the old uh, put the camera on the faces Mm -hmm. of the people as the caravan goes around along thing where you act yeah. like sit with these people who are literally below mm-hmm. where we are yeah. looking you know um so i figured i mean i, I guess yeah. i guess you're right was, i think i think I in this, in this by that point in the film fox is the new philip and they're looking at this moroccan guy the way yeah. that philip and Oigan were looking at him when oh, he came right, to max's right. house and there's so there's almost like mm-hmm. a virginia wolf thing happening is essentially what that scene is too because there's like this mm-hmm. This little mm-hmm. hot rod, this little, this little toy they might play with, they might not. Yeah. You know, it's really about like what's going on between them. I just kind of, even to your point, Dan, the end of the scene where Oigan is like, okay, but you're Arab too. And then the the uh, hotel caddy guy is just like, he just shrugs it off. And the movie, the <laughs> yeah. movie is like, we don't have anything Those else to say rules. about this. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, which maybe is better than trying and failing to say something. But uh, yeah, that, that was certainly... I think that's a good read, Wes. I don't think that's off base at all. Yeah, like, um, that's well, that's well put. Also, just a beautiful yeah. location. I guess did they actually? It's, go it to is Morocco? man, wild. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it it's reminded gorgeous. me almost a little bit of obviously different place, but in Malcolm X when he <clears throat> takes his pilgrimage, um, you know, it reminded me of just that kind yeah. of you know Middle Eastern uh, locale. Um, I, I suppose if it's not that I'm even like fully against that part of the movie, it's always just kind of seemed to 
like a, I don't know, put this little like wedge like right into the middle of the narrative that never felt like for me it really went anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never really knew what to make of it, but I think Wes's reading is is the correct one. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, I think we could do more re- ratings for both of these because they're so, both you know older, more yeah. obscure films. Um, yeah. Dan, do you have any final notes about Fox and his friends before we rate it? Uh, it's um. One that I hadn't seen in a in a bit. Um, I've I've been trying to make like um, recurring little batch of like queer movies that mm-hmm. I revisit uh, every Pride Month, and, and I think Funeral Parade of Roses is always going to be on there. I don't know if because I was excited to revisit Fox and His Friends, and um, I liked it a little bit less this time, and I don't know how often I'm going to be revisiting fassbender films like Mm -hmm. like i think i appreciate who he is as a presence in world cinema and the developing new queer cinema but i think this is a um resurrect or revive or whatever we call it yeah wait can we go through them reanimate there you go (laughs) so yeah we have from the bottom we have uh cremate it bury it embalm reanimate immortal Oh, okay, yeah, I forgot about Immortal. I'm, I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one who totally forgot what the system was. <laughs> um, I, I'd, I'd, land, I'd put it at Embalm. Um, no particular rationale, but that's like that's about how I felt about it. I think, um, to your point, Dan, it's probably... I mean, well, this is splitting hairs. I was going to say it's it's important to, to know about the filmmaker, even if you don't watch his films. But part of knowing about the filmmaker is watching the films, of course. So yeah. it's it's you know, but I think um, to your point, it's it's a movie that like. Uh, I would I would recommend someone to watch when they can, if they're on mm-hmm. a kind of journey of queer cinema. Um, yeah. But it, no, it's, it's probably essential for that. that. I would, yeah, that I would yeah. personally rewatch, per se. Uh, Zach. I'm going to also go and bomb. Um, I mean, like I said, it, I mean, like I was entertained enough by it. Like there was never a point where I was like, fucking turn this off. Uh, but, you know, it, it didn't it's not something that, you know, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and like look out my window and think about, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think it's you know, I think it's a interesting story. I, I liked the acting. Like I think the dynamic between um, between our two leading boys is good like he's i think eugene is a great villain like he's just it's he's not over the top but he's just like fucking like you hate him um and i think yeah yeah, it's intriguing you know what i mean and it's it's it is entertaining just the way (laughs) if you're looking for an ashtray it's over there like it's just like i think those are funny (laughs) moments it's to the left of the china he does that like five times it's so funny one scene i can't fucking help but just like erupt into laughter over is when the flower shop guy who he scams in the beginning of the movie later on is like at the gay bar and he like comes on to fox and then like fox slaps him but it's like a downward smack and the guy goes and and then he goes police police they they could not be more german if they fucking tried (laughs) it's like they're the silliest motherfuckers in the world um the scene is fucking funny uh i would embalm it as well i mean i think for all the reasons you guys Mm. say i think it's uh it's one of those you know we've talked about it before we're like sometimes I think we used it actually for Kurosawa movies that there's times where that we you watch a movie that you acknowledge the importance, but you go, all right, I'm good. I'm good on it personally. And that's how I feel mm-hmm. about, about this movie. Uh, yeah, I would, I would embalm it. Um, what about you? Well, that, what about you, Dan? All. Did Dan I mean, give his? 
Dan, yeah, yeah Dan gave his first. Oh, you weren't you weren't listening, huh, Wes? Hey, hey, mm. hey, hey. Mm. I got a oh, I, I, I got a question for you guys. Enough. If a woman was no, bleeding them, out of her them. eyes, if a woman was bleeding out of her eyes, <laughs> if a woman was standing on the street, if a woman was standing on the street with gouged out eyes, would you would you help her? Would you call the police? What would you do? That's not the question you asked. I don't know what you're saying, Zach. No. Uh, we'll, uh, be, we'll, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with Funeral Parade of Roses. Well, so you you posed this you posed this question and then well, I'm going to pull it up for you, Zach. <laughs> OK, yeah. Don't you worry about it. Don't you worry about it. I saved it. Don't worry about it. We talked about this on two different threads because because he asked in two different threads. Where is it? Yeah. Oh, oh, here anyway. It is. So we're talking <laughs> about. Hey, 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 I'm trying to talk about world cinema right now. We're talking about. Would you smash a woman with hey, no eyes? Hey, 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 hey. hey. Enough of that here. Enough of that here. Would y'all smash a woman with no eyes? Wait, wait. Zach, why would you even? I ask said, that? are they? Man, can you go? Zach, that's actually are they... fucked up. Excuse me. Excuse me. I said, I said, I say, are they freshly gouged out? We're cutting all of this, by the way. Or is, is she just blind, Wes? I'm and Wes says she's standing before you like the woman in this movie. Justin says no. I say nope. I say no question mark. Justin says I'm calling the ambulance. Wes says, but she looks like Margot Robbie, but when her eyes are popped out. <laughs> <laughs> What's the film? Oh, read the rest. <laughs> read the rest. No, Zach, no. Zach who, who's the, who's that girl from West Side Story that you're in love with? Zach, what's her name? That's not me. That's Wes. That's you. Zach, Zach is also in love with this woman. Stop. Wes, Stop. Wes, Wes is on. Wes is the first person to see All this right. girl well, post on her Instagram stories. If that West Side Story girl was in the position that oh, Eddie man. was in, the answer is um, no. Are you still moving in on that? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is no, and forever no. This is one of the first episodes that will be deleted when Zach. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm coming for this one. Like Let say that about forever. <laughs> So this is Funeral Parade of Roses, uh, directed by Toshio Matsumoto, um, a Japanese drama art film loosely adapted from Oedipus Rex, set in the underground gay culture of Mm -hmm. 1960s Tokyo. Now, Dan, uh, I I have a question for you that'll that'll tee you up for um, why you chose this, because when I was just reading Wikipedia, as you often do, um, Uh uh uh, Fassbinder was mentioned in the introduction to this Wikipedia page, and it was said that many points of comparison can be found between this and his love is colder than death, which you mentioned. So I'm curious mm-hmm. if you knew about that film and why you picked Fox and his friends instead of that one for well, this love. Love is colder than death was basically like Fassbender's, um, you know, like ba- his bad taste, oh. you know, it was like his, his very first movie made with like a micro budget, even though a lot of his movies are made with a micro budget, but he was inspired by uh, Godard, you know, breathless and um, Viva Save mm-hmm. and all that stuff like French new wave and shit. And it's, it's a lot of like his friends sitting around in trench coats, smoking cigarettes and stuff like that. And like trying to look cool. Not much substance in that one. It, he was like a teenager gotcha. when he made it. Um, but, I, but I think the French New Wave really just kind of had this like massive like overhaul of like world cinema like sensibilities. Sure, yeah. Like everybody wanted to do that kind of like freewheeling, like a 
little bit of a poem will come in like halfway through the movie free jazz and like a handheld camera it's kind of shaking around while people are dancing to rock music and things like that all the all these like more modern sensibilities that like you can see in independent Mm -hmm. cinema at that time and it takes you know studio cinema much longer Mm -hmm. to catch on um but it, 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 they were saying that uh, Fassbender was inspired by this movie, or vice uh, versa. They were well. First of all, they were saying that this is thought to have influenced uh, *A Clockwork Orange*, Stanley Kubrick's adaptation. It makes a lot of sense. And yeah, then, no, Kubrick. Uh, yeah. Ku- Kubrick um, had a print of *Funeral Parade of Roses*. He also had a print of *Texas Chainsaw Massacre* for like his private <laughs> theater, and he would watch *Funeral Parade of Roses* all the time. And there's actually direct points of comparison. In Funeral Parade of Roses, when those two businessmen are told that, like, the cops are there and they very quickly, like, pick up their coats yeah, and, like, everything off the table and, like, get rid of all the evidence and stuff. Because there's this, like, kind of C or D plot in this movie about, like, a drug trade that's never really extrapolated yeah. on that much. Um, but Kubrick lifts that directly mm. for, like, his uh, – you remember the scene in The Clockwork Orange where um, uh, Alex has sex with those two girls and he picks up at the record shop? I have seen it one Justin. time many years ago, so I don't remember that. I do remember him okay, getting beat up But do you remember the scene where it's, like, on. sped up and he's, like, having sex in his room with the two girls? You know what I'm talking okay. about? Uh, he he lifts like a lot of the music is like very clearly influenced by funeral Mm -hmm. parade of roses a lot of the set design um all i know is that kubrick took all of the stylistic flourishes of this movie and didn't really take any of the uh the meat and potatoes as it were does that make sense um, I, I don't think it's bad that he stole so much from this. I mean, Clockwork Orange and this are different enough movies, but you can see the mm. clear lineage, how it would have inspired yeah. that. Um, well, this movie follows uh, Eddie, who is a young uh, drag queen slash transgender performer mm-hmm. uh, in a 1960s underground yeah. club. Um, and there is, you know, we start the movie and she's... Uh, uh, having an affair with this older gentleman who like is the Mm -hmm. i guess the manager of the club and he's promising her that he's going to fire the current uh what they call madam at the club basically the proprietress and replace her with uh eddie um and hijinks and And before we move on yeah hijinks too and so before we move on i just have to say this has the most beautiful like opening like credits montage of like bodies pressed up Mm. against each other that i think i've ever seen in a motion picture like the the way they're both like really blown Mm. out and they're both surrounded by this like heavenly like glowing like white that kind of washes over the bodies as they're like kissing and like you know the legs open up and then one's face is like through the legs and it's also kind of abstract and expressionistic um and every time i go back i'm really awestruck by like the beauty of that opening montage I can't get over it, especially seeing this movie on a big screen. Those are such like, I mean, it's full of beautiful images and like all these visual ideas that like there's like five per scene. You know, it's always trying something new. Um, I, I guess this will kind of dovetail into my opinion on the movie at large. I just whenever I watch something freeform and really kind of freewheeling and just like overflowing with ideas, I'm always like, why can't every movie be like this? You know? Why can't why can't every movie reinvent itself with like every scene and like throw a million new mm. things at you, you know, and just try shit. At one point, the movie is like talking to uh, the critics, you know, where, where she's like uh, in the bar and the guys are like, so how's this movie you're making? Talking about the movie that we're watching. And then Eddie goes, um, 
uh, we're, we're on the uh, last scene now, just some like final touches. And then it cuts to Eddie in front of a bunch of posters right. for the movie. And it says awaiting your acclamation or something like the, the title card yeah. kind of spins in, you know what I'm that. talking about? Yeah. I yeah. didn't know what it was. Yeah. Really, really. But now you explain really it. cool, really cool way of breaking the fourth wall. I mean, it, it consistently like defies any kind of categorization. And I really love that about this. Movie. Yeah. I, um, I think that this is a more, you know, I, I was more interested in this movie as an artistic expression of, of, mm-hmm. uh, of queer, I guess, identity and history and all that. Um, there were still parts of it that were like grating to me, um, in a, you know, in, in how, it, uh, <laughs> free form sometimes it got uh there's that one yeah. section where i guess it's uh an excerpt of um that that guy um uh that guy's a sh- what do they call him the, the filmmaker in the movie that uh well there's some excerpts of the film that yeah. i think he's making and it just like loops over and over yes. for like three minutes Fuck straight that, that that film is on this by the way it has a bunch of his um short films from uh the avant-garde short films oh so that's uh, an actual movie he made queue up his short films yeah he he put inside his other movies uh into this yeah it's kind of like a reel for him yeah no i i think uh to your point about the opening i saw pieces of other movies past like before this and after this within this movie I, i can see its influence and i can see what influenced it i even in that opening montage thought a lot about hiroshima my love um which has a very similar opening of like, you know, there's two lovers in bed and then there's like kind of the, the flashes of something else that's going on that will ultimately be thematically relevant, yeah. but isn't about what's happening. Right. He um, was the Dean of arts at the Kyoto university of art and design. Um, he was also the president of the Japan society of image arts and sciences. Okay. Um, so yeah, he had a, he had a pretty Guevara. That's the name of the character that I was trying to remember. And he was played by Toyosaburo Uchiyama. But I, I, I guess Matsumoto was in another, yeah, um, another uh, thing. Um, so, yeah, I I think the most, and what I wrote in my, um, my letterbox review is that the most interesting aspect of this movie for me was the connection to Eddie's past and the slow unveiling of, of the Oedipus twist, I guess. But even before that, just like exploring what happened between Eddie and her mother and, you know, the sort of uh, um, that kind of early uh, trauma that I guess was one of the domino effects toward, you know, uh, her uh, self-identification in the future. Um, But there were some other things like I guess that subplot that I had no idea about um, that were kind of just being lost on me. So I was just really trying to track Eddie throughout, which is, you know, obviously that's uh, part of what's going on in the movie. Um, And I think by the end, you know, it it pays off decently well. Um, So yeah, I'm curious to know what you guys thought about it. Um, I had trouble following the movie and I think, partly that might be by design i think it's obviously an experimentally Mm -hmm. put together film it's i think dan in his review said it's one-third narrative one-third doc one-third experimental Mm -hmm. hangout movie um and i think from a formal perspective i think a lot of the filmmaking was really interesting to me i think the, the recurring image of the 
of the image of the of the family portrait burning with the face yeah. kind of snuffed so out good. i think is a really striking image and i think it's you know the too. last yeah i mean the last 10 minutes when that pays off uh with the dead body in the tub and then the her kind of walking through the hallway and we see it first person and she gouges her eyes out. I think that's all very interesting stuff. I think the story itself, I found to be a bit um, alienating um, for me personally uh, and not in, in terms of an experience, but in terms of um, the mechanics of the film, um, I found to be a bit alienating, but I think, you know, also that might just be the nature of the film and that's what the film is so if that is what it is then i you know critiquing the style doesn't feel mm. right to me um but yeah i mean I, I didn't i didn't i did not i won't lie and say i enjoyed it but i will say i appreciate it in mm-hmm. some parts of the it's film a few movie. movies stacked on top of each other right you know it's it's the story of the movie is also kind of the story of making the movie and the movie being in like post-production and stuff breaking up in the middle of a sex scene like uh matsumoto himself like directing is like mm. all the lights are set up and Hmm. stuff and i think what i extrapolate from a lot of those interviews is that like you said wes the story is alienating and a lot of the Mm -hmm. cast themselves don't even know what to make of it because it's so kind of like cold and like ambiguous like what's what's really Mm -hmm. going on here and i think that is in the movie to actually invite you in as an onlooker and kind of like urge you to think let me stick with this and see where it's going and i think if you look up this movie prior to watching it it ruins it for you because i didn't know that this was an oedipus rex retelling Mm -hmm. i had like no idea so when that happens at the very end it kind of it kind of like blew my mind yeah and um the day after i saw this I, i was like so excited to just like go back and watch it again and um i told my friend marissa about it she was like oh i've always heard about that movie um and we just like went back and like watched it again and like the second watch i like loved it even more um so yeah i mean i guess it's hard to like break the exterior that the movie has you have to like take a, a hammer to it um but once you like get in there and see what it's doing i think it's actually a very emotional and inviting movie even if it does have that cold alienating exterior um, so it's interesting. I mean, everybody's going to have a different takeaway. When what about you, Zach? Yeah, uh, yeah, it wasn't really my thing. Um, I definitely found myself, unlike Fox and Friends, like I kept like looking to see how much time I had left on this. I was like, when is this done? Um, and I, I mean, I think I think the ending is, is really cool. And yeah, unfortunately, we had talked about the Oedipus Rex thing like as I was watching it. So I expected something like that to happen um but yeah i i don't know it just i think oh okay so here's here's an example of how this film affected me so like you know throughout these like little experimental montages i was like fucking stop and at one point it like there was like a freeze frame on the group like like of friends just watching something and i sat there for like 30 seconds being like are you fucking kidding me before i realized that my airpods had died and so youtube just like paused itself oh. because <laughs> like it just was like oh your audio is not working and so i really but i sat there and i assumed that, that it was, was the movie and i was like this is such bullshit um yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it's just I can definitely appreciate everything you're saying about it in terms of like the form and how you know experimental it is and what it's trying to do. And I thought some aspects of like the documentary style, I was like, oh, that's that's a really cool thing that I've never seen before. But ultimately, I 
it, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't for me. I think I think I was just like, please. Mm. Uh, I I know. think I I also I I even wanted <clears throat> maybe a little more of that like uh, that talking head. Uh, those talking head interstitial moments with the the interviews with mm-hmm. the actors a- as their characters or just the they're actors. They're so vulnerable, yeah. man. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, they're being so cool. vulnerable, yeah. and it, and it seem it seems like the interviewer is um you know he he's posing all of these very like open questions um and and while it seems like he may be prodding like the, the questions are never. You know, it never seems um, no, malicious so. or, or, or like they're trying to kind of like poke at this thing and then like kind of make them look like a clown or anything. I mean, the interviewees are being very vulnerable and they're being very warm and like in, in the midst of this like very like strange and abstract narrative, like to see that and to see these like real people from this era open up about their lived experiences. It's it's such a yeah. unique thing. It's such a unique thing. It, it is really like watching three different movies, mm-hmm. and the in you know the, the way they coalesce is it's the most interesting movie that it could have been. Yeah, I think. I, I think the big note that I or not even note, but the observation that was on my mind as I was watching the film is from what I one of the the um, I think connective qualities uh, about a lot of particularly Japanese cinema is, you know, their relationship to the social conservatives, conservatism of Japan as a, as a nation, right? Like historically. Yeah. And the movies that I've watched will either be like rebelling against that or kind of using it to subvert your expectation of what's going to happen or whatever. So obviously this movie coming out in 1969, um, you know, just on the, on the, on the edge of the, the swing in seventies, um, you can understand why it was controversial, especially in that country. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I feel like the, the interview portions are actually like, assuming that they aren't scripted, which I don't, I, well, assuming that they aren't scripted, I think that that is like maybe a, a more, I don't know what um, actually the director's lifestyle was, but maybe that's a more conservative uh, or conservatively raised Japanese man trying to interface with queer Japanese people with questions that like he assumes the Japanese public would have like, okay, so are, do you see yourself as a man or a woman? Are you attracted to men or women? How long have you been a queen? How do you Mm. want to be a queen forever? Don't you want to get married? Like just kind of playing questions that, um, you know, they feel, I guess in a safe enough space to answer. Um, And and this is also, Right. And this is also a time where the 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 theory and um, discourse around transgenderism hadn't mm-hmm. it, it hadn't evolved to the place that it is yeah, now. There's not much literature so, you know, time. but I, I I found myself, like you said, kind of, um, I guess, pleasantly surprised by as, the by the by the conversations that were being had. As I understand it, this is pretty embraced uh just reading mm-hmm. leatherbox entries and things like that so yeah leatherbox has a lot of five stars yeah, for this from, movie. from popular uh trans critics and stuff i mean they, i i give this five stars i think mm-hmm. this movie's incredible um i but- will uh i i have a question and maybe again this is like not important but i was just curious about because the reason that uh the dad finds out that Eddie is his child is because he sees the photo of his face burned down and he recognizes that woman as his former lover. 
and then does the math. Mm. But I'm wondering. I'm, so Eddie did. Eddie never knew his father uh, growing up, and then right. so never even saw him, and then killed his mom when she was with the gentleman caller. Is that the situation that was happening there? Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that same caller is the one who molested oh, her, who we see in. Oh, the that's okay. Missed that as well. You know so what's then, funny is, I think Wikipedia doesn't fucking know because I like I read that the dad abused Eddie and then he left. Like that's what Wikipedia says. Oh, I always interpreted that as the the lover um, who sh- she murders the lover and uh, her mom in that in that vignette right. we see where the lover approaches yeah. the camera. Very creepy shot of the so camera kind of moving into uh, movie, a Dutch, yeah. and yeah. you know the light coming over him. That that was the the lover, but we never um, when the lover enters in that one scene. It's always right. back yeah. as to us. So maybe it's up so, with interpretation. Yeah, maybe that's yeah, that's true. There. And so then I'm just wondering. So Eddie, so so that photo was uh was kept by Eddie as kind of a remnant of her past but she didn't she wasn't the one who burned it because otherwise she would know what her dad looks like right i mean i'm assuming i think she i think she did burn I feel like it she burned but it. maybe burned it quite some time ago and th- that also um gives credence to the man in that vignette who molested Eddie not being her father because she would have re- and also it's not the same actor uh, as as the man who we later on yeah. find out is yeah it was just a moment where I was like oh yeah cool affecting moment but I started to right about of the the picture frame being burnt no not even that just the burnt. revelation the revelation because he finds yeah. it in Eddie's house which means that she kept it which makes sense in a way like even though it's a traumatizing thing it's also you yeah. know it's complicated yeah but I was also just wondering like okay so she never recognized this man as her dad which means that she can't have grown up with him. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 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 movie makes its point anyway. Yeah, um yeah. and so as far as rating it, I think I would actually give this I rated it a little higher on Letterboxd than I did on Fox than I did Fox. So I'm gonna say like a light reanimate because mm-hmm. I'm curious about how it is viewed. I mean, I even though you've said what you've said regarding Letterbox, I, I'm curious how it's viewed um by like the the contemporary queer community and, you know, um, I guess just how maybe some of the, um, again, the discourse might've, uh, might've aged, um, and, and, and how it discusses, you know, this subculture that was, uh, clearly, um, clearly had an impact, but just wasn't, well, it was a subculture, so it wasn't in the limelight. Um, right. so yeah, I, I think, I think a, a light reanimate it's, it's, uh, it's certainly got some, something worth looking at and talking about that's relevant mm-hmm. to today, I think. Yeah. Um, I'll give it an embalm still. I, I rated it just a little bit lower than uh, Fox and Friends. I think, you know, again, I think stylistically it just wasn't really something that I'm super interested in, but I could definitely see why um, other people rate it higher. Like I, mm-hmm. I can see why other people value it higher. It's just, you know, I just, I know myself and I'm not, you know, willing to pretend that, uh, it's just a field of like interest for me, I think cinematically. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I just put out so many big words there that made sense. That was cool. Um, I'm really growing up guys, but anyway, um, yeah. I, and I think it's, there are aspects that are definitely, like disturbing like i i don't know like how quick i'd be to recommend it to someone who 
you know, I, I don't know, I, I guess their tolerance for things that are like, you know, intense like that. Or triggering. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I fucking yeah. flinched when that knife went into her eye. I know that, you know, obviously mm-hmm. I, that was an effect, but I was like, oh! And that whole <laughs> yeah. last sequence was just difficult to watch uh, with yeah. her eyes like that. But it was, again, it was really cool. But so I think for those reasons, that's why I'd embalm it. You know what I mean? Like recommend it to people that I know would appreciate it. And then otherwise, maybe just be like, you know, maybe not. Mm. So I'm seeing here that the the two highest rated queer movies on Leatherboxd are Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Paris is Burning, which both have 4.4s. I also um, did think a bit about Paris is Burning in certain segments where they yeah. were getting ready you know, and that's yep. why yeah. I also I think wanted a yeah, bit more I could see documentary that. flair from it. And Funeral Parade of Roses has a four point three. So okay. So it's in the top five, top three. I am going to be annoying and not rate it. I just think uh That's not how that works. I'm be annoying. It's okay. It's fine. I can see I can see it. Yeah, well not it how is that now. Works. Um no, uh I don't know. I I feel like I I feel like I haven't fully wrapped my mind around the movie enough for me to give a critical consensus for it. I think if I watched it again, I might have a stronger opinion one way or the mm-hmm. other. I think with this viewing, I was just trying, kind of taking it in and, and attempting to make sense of it um, formally. Um, and I also don't think, you know, I think there's, there's, and this might be seen as a cop-out, I also think the movie's not necessarily for me. Like, and, and, and not saying that movies about trans women can't be mm-hmm. for other people. Um, but I think this movie specifically seems to mean a lot to mm-hmm. trans women specifically. And I think me not connecting to it um, necessarily um, would make me feel uncomfortable to like give it a rating, especially since I, I don't even have a full opinion about the movie. So I'm going to leave it also like to leave it on rating. I would also like to exactly very professional. Similar to a West said about how important it is to the transgender community, I also believe that it is unfair to rate it, and I would like to rescind what I said. In fact, we're going to cut that entirely. I would like to also not rate it. That's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to start my rating recording. I want you to cut everything I said previously. This is where we are. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. Well, Dan, what about you? I'm I'm going to say that. While, while I still have like a lot to watch and I've been going through the filmography of like Greg Araki and stuff, I think as of right now, this is my favorite queer movie ever made. I think it's my number one. And I think... Oh, cool. More yeah, than Venom, Let There Be Carnage? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm giving it like a like a five out of five and stuff. Uh, the, you know, the highest rating that we yeah. have on the show. Um but but I think that also like coming from me doesn't even really communicate like how impactful this movie has been. So, you know, just if you're listening to this uh, and you're kind of on the fence about like exploring, you know, early queer cinema and stuff, I would say at least give this one a shot. Well put. Well, folks, thanks so much for listening in to this uh, return to the Media Morgue. If you want more uh, cinema reviews and excursions, you can check out our back catalog on YouTube, Spotify, Podbean, and the Podbean app. Please rate and review the show wherever you get it. It greatly helps us out. And we'll be back sooner than you think with more uh, ooey-gooey movie goodness. Uh, Till then, um, stay safe and don't stab your eyes out with a steak knife. Don't do that. Try to avoid it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Later.